this morning, uh, our passage is going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So if you'd be turning there in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to uh, read that whole chapter in a moment. But uh, this morning is a little bit of an unusual morning for various reasons. One of them is we had a baptism earlier on and later after the service, uh, at at the end of the service, I should say, we're going to have a child dedication. And so um, I will endeavor to keep it brief. I've been called long-winded before, but uh, so my goal is to finish uh, a little bit early. And then uh, at that point, at the appropriate moment, parents who are going to be dedicating their children at the appropriate moment, I will tell you when to go ahead and skedaddle and grab your, uh, your children, whether they're in uh, nursery or or wherever. I'll I'll let you know when that time comes and uh, it's in my notes. So I will likely not forget it. Um, So that's what's going to happen later on. Again, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and our passage today deals with uh, children and deals with faith and deals with God working. And so I want to read through all of 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Joraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all, his, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel Grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, 
Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. We bow down before you and give you honor. We remind ourselves what your word says, that you alone are God, and there is none like you. There is no competitor. You alone are God, the creator of all things. And we bow down before you. Father, we worship you that you are the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things, that worlds continue to spin and our hearts continue to beat because you say it so. We worship you, Lord. And we worship you also as our redeemer. When we rebel against you, you you would have been right to destroy us. You would have been right and just and good not to redeem us, but by your great mercy and because of your great love for us, you did indeed send your son to redeem sinful man. And so we, we praise you for what you have done for us in Christ. We praise you for the fact that we have access to you. We, we get to come and bring our requests to you. We praise you for that because Jesus made that possible. We praise you for the fact that we have life and breath in in a physical sense and life and breath spiritually because of Christ alone. So we praise you for Christ, for what you've done in him. Father, we praise you also that you redeem sinners by faith alone. We praise you for redeeming these two even that we baptized this morning, that you have drawn them to yourself, that, that they understand their own need, their own lack, their own sin. They understand your holiness and, and the guilt that their sin incurs for them before you. 
And they understand Jesus who came to pay the penalty for their sin. As they said, Jesus died for them to pay for their sin. And so we praise you for that. We praise you that you save sinners. And Father, we praise you also this morning for children. The fact that you give children. We praise you for that. We we thank you that you have blessed us with so many children in this congregation. And Father, we acknowledge that as your blessing. And we ask that this morning as we will dedicate children and their families to you in a few minutes, we ask that you would be honored. We ask that you would be lifted up even in the teaching of uh, the Word this morning and in the teaching of the Word in the homes of these people uh, whose children we will dedicate and who we will dedicate to the Lord. So, Father, open your Word to us, we pray. Speak to us even this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage today is is, uh, one of several passages in the Old Testament that deals with a family or a woman desiring to have a child and being unable to. And the process that is that has gone through with prayer and with agony and, and all that happens ar- around uh, the woman and in the family and those things. And uh, this is one of several passages that deals with that theme. If you think your way through the book of Genesis, you can see that that's a common theme that happens even in the book of Genesis. And it continues here uh, all the way up through First Samuel. And we have this picture of Hannah. And Hannah's a, a special case. She's uh, this unique character that, that we read about. And if you will flip quickly to chapter 2, you will see Hannah's prayer praising God for what he has done in chapter 2. And we're not going to cover that, unfortunately. I, I wouldn't have time to cover that. But you will see, if you look at that, if you read through it, you'll see a lot of similarities with Mary's Magnificat. Because there's another woman in the Bible with an unexpected pregnancy, with this situation where uh, in, in Hannah's case, she longed for a baby. She just hadn't been given one, though she was married and, and everything else. Uh, she didn't have a child. But in Mary's case, she wasn't even married. She was a virgin, and yet the Lord gives her a baby. And so you have similarities between Mary in the New Testament and Hannah here in this passage, but there are greater similarities. And so I'm going to uh, have two main points in our talk uh, this morning. The first one is going to be on some of the similarities that there are, uh, which I think is the greater lesson in this passage, the similarities uh, between Hannah's son Samuel and Mary's son Jesus. I think the reason our author spends so much time developing this background story of Hannah and her relationship with Elkanah and with uh, Penina and all of that on purpose so that we will see and be prepared for later on the parallels, particularly with Samuel, that he has with Jesus later on. So our first major point concerns the close resemblance between Hannah's son Samuel and Mary's son Jesus. And then secondly, there's a very practical lesson. There are several practical lessons for us to learn from this that, uh, where we see Hannah as a very godly pattern for us in dealing with our own children. And I thought it would be appropriate as we will be dedicating families and their children to the Lord in a few minutes that we talk about what Hannah teaches us 
what we learn in this passage as well. So first of all, let's talk about the close resemblance between Samuel and Jesus. Of course, this is just the beginning of Samuel. This is first Samuel chapter one, and there will be a second Samuel and uh, numerous chapters in between. And so you know that the story goes on and on, but I I want to point out just some of the points of commonality between Samuel and Jesus himself that I think is intentional by the original author. I don't mean whoever wrote Samuel. I mean God who inspired the writing of Samuel and who sent his son. And the first point of resemblance is the unexpected pregnancy. That here in Hannah's situation, she was married for a number of years. We're not told for how long, but it said year after year they would go up and year after year her rival would, you know, provoke her. And so this relationship with with Penina, it, it had apparently gone on for some number of years and the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. And so she had gotten to the point where she was vexed year after year. She, she would struggle in this situation because Penina would just rub it in her face. Look, I've got all these sons and daughters and, and you have nothing. You're obviously cursed. Obviously God doesn't love you or Elkanah doesn't love you or, uh, but God loves me because I have lots of kids and, and Elkanah loves me because I have lots of kids. And so she was anxious and she was worried and she was pained and she hurt and she wept. And so she goes to the tabernacle and she's worshiping there. And she, it, it talks about she, she skips meals. She, she has no rest. She's agonizing over the situation. And so she goes and she prays. And of course, she's, she's praying with her uh, silently, though she's moving her lips. And Eli sees it and misunderstands the situation. But the result is a pregnancy she probably never thought would happen. It doesn't say that. But how many years can you go praying and anticipating and hoping and suffering? And the Lord gave her this unexpected pregnancy. Well, I've already made the connection in the New Testament with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here she was a young teenage girl. She wasn't married. She was a virgin. And an angel appears and says, you're going to have a baby. It was an extremely unexpected pregnancy. And where, where Hannah's pregnancy was, was possibly miraculous, uh, it was at least unlikely given the track record. But Mary's was purely miracle. That was God working. And so you see a, a point of commonality there. And another one I'll just mention aside again is, First Samuel chapter 2 and the parallels that there are with the Magnificat. It seems like the writer of the New Testament, the writer uh, of this passage here, they're thinking along the same lines. And the writer of the New Testament uh, passage, particularly the Magnificat, in writing that and putting the story together that way, is trying to draw our attention to God's miraculous work in sending a miraculous child. And we see that point of commonality in the unexpected pregnancy. But the commonality continues, and that's uh, secondly the start of a new era or transition of eras, we should say. If you think about the history of the Old Testament, who's Samuel? Well, Samuel's a prophet, but he's also a judge. And he comes on the heels of the period of the judges. He's the last one. Remember Samson and all, and all those who came before? Those were the judges after the time of Joshua and, and all that. We have the period of the judges. And Samuel is the last judge where the nation had been uh, sort of loosely identified together and, and they would have these uh, struggles even with each other sometimes and whatever. But he's the last judge and comes on the scene. And during his ministry, 
it transitions from being that period of the judges to being a period of the monarchy where he will anoint the first and even the second king of Israel so that now by the end of his ministry, it's not this loosely associated period. There's a technical name for it, a political name that I can't remember what it is, <laughs> but it, where there's this, this loosely associated like federation uh, with a judge that comes every now and again. And at the end, they have a king and a kingdom and they have a capital and they have these expectations as a nation. It's the start of a new era during the time of Samuel. Well, of course, think about Jesus. How, how does he transition eras? How is he the start of a new era? Well, of course, he's in the New Testament. But the fact is that his coming brings the New Testament. His coming brings the new covenant. The Old Testament, all the way up to him, displays for us what God's expectation is and what people's performance is. They never meet God's standard. They never meet God's standard. He says very clearly in his law what he wants them to do, and they don't do it again and again and again. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and this law, this expectation is there. It's never been met. It's never been obeyed. And what does Jesus do in his own life? He meets that law. He meets that perfect standard. In his own behavior, he, he fulfills the law. He obeys. Finally, the first one ever to obey the law. He comes on the scene, and he obeys the law. But not only that, the, the obedience of everybody who has come before, and by the way, everyone who comes after, in our own disobedience to God, when we, when we break His commands, we deserve His wrath. We become guilty before Him. And so all of that guilt, of all of that law-breaking, Jesus took upon Himself on the cross, that He would pay the penalty for the sins of His people in the cross. And so he not only does what is right, he not only obeys God and fulfills that aspect of the old covenant, but he also bears the penalty for all of those who by faith would be in Christ. So that that penalty is paid also. And then now, that's the conclusion of the old. What about the new? Well, he goes into the new and those who have faith in Christ receive that forgiveness and receive that righteousness and thus have peace with God. Because of what Christ has done. It's a new covenant where the law has been met. It's been completed. It's been obeyed. The penalty has been paid. And now the spoils come to us by faith in Christ. And so there's a transition of eras in Jesus also. So first of all, the unexpected pregnancy. And secondly, the transition of eras. And then thirdly, prophets, priests, and kings. You see, Samuel was a prophet. And he lived and worked among priests. And he would anoint the first and second kings of the nation of Israel, Saul and David. Well, Jesus would come as the prophet, the great prophet, the greatest prophet. He would come as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, far and above the, the Levitical priesthood. He would come as the last of the priests of Melchizedek, the only one needed because he has no end of days. And he would, form, he would perform his priestly functions perfectly, offering the perfect offering of himself to God and continuing on to pray for us, to intercede for us in heaven on our behalf and will do so for eternity. And he's the king. He's the expected king, the descendant of David, who, whose reign never ends. Who is the perfect king? He himself, Jesus, is the prophet, the priest, and the king. 
And fourthly, whereas Samuel anointed kings, the first two kings of the nation of Israel, and the second king particularly had some, uh, some, uh, some potential, David. He was a great king, but he himself proved to be a sinner just like everyone else. He proved to fall far short of the mark. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus doesn't anoint kings. He is the anointed king. He is the expected one. He is the one who is the son of David who would come on the scene who would reign forever. And so we see these connections between Samuel and David, Samuel and Jesus, the son of David. We see this played out as you read through first and second Samuel and as you read through the New Testament. But I want to make a few passing comments for us uh, this morning regarding parenting and Hannah, what Hannah exemplifies for us in her own life. And I'll go through these quickly because I am trying to be brief. First of all is the prayer for the child. She, she knows where to go. She knows, she doesn't know why her womb is closed, but she knows who can open it. And so she prays and she goes to the Lord and she pours out her heart. There's a lot of imagery there about her agony of praying to God for this son. She was consumed with that prayer. And then when the, when the baby comes, what does she say? For this child, I prayed. She had been in prayer from long before she ever had real hope that she would have this baby until after his birth even, she continues in prayer. And as we dedicate children this morning, and by the way, my wife and I will be up here uh, with with, uh, our younger son dedicating him. It's our joy and privilege and responsibility and ministry as parents to pray for our kids, to pray for them. And just as hopeless and as helpless as Hannah probably felt when she was pouring out her heart before Eli came and talked to her, there are situations in our lives as parents where we will feel equally helpless. And we can pray. And must pray. Like Hannah did. Prayer for the child. Second, given to the Lord. She gave him to the Lord. She didn't see him as hers to keep and to hold. She saw him as belonging to the Lord. And she got great joy out of having this child. She rejoiced when she heard the news that God would fulfill her request and she celebrated that. And yet she, she understood that this is not my child. And there's a word play in the original here that uh, several times she asks of the Lord and it's referred to, she asks of the Lord. And then it says, once she has given the child, what does she do? She lends him to the Lord. Well, those words are used on purpose. Ask and lend are two different uses, two different forms of the same root word. It's a play on words to say she was asking, 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 and then she got, she got the answer and she gave him back. She lent him back to the Lord. And parents, that's what we're doing as well. We need to give our children to the Lord. They belong to him. They are his heritage. We have been given uh, this responsibility on this earth to parent them, to love them, to teach them about Christ and all of that. We've been given that responsibility and ultimately it ups the ante when we understand that they are his and not ours. They're his children. And Hannah realized that and so she lent him back to the Lord. Thirdly, we lend them to the Lord. We give them back to the Lord to serve the Lord. That's what she recognized. That's what she realized about Samuel is that she wanted him to to live there, to continue serving there all of his days to minister for the Lord. And, of course, he did that. That's what Samuel did. 
Parents, that's what we need to desire for our children, that they would be lent to the Lord to serve Him in whatever capacity the Lord has for them. These are not our children, they're His. And so we want to give our children to the Lord and say, Lord, use them to serve you however you would like. We have our hopes and we have our aspirations, but we give them back to the Lord so that they will serve Him. And then fourthly, they are committed. He is committed for life. She lends Him to the Lord forever. She doesn't say, yeah, I'll give you, you know, two years and then I'm going to have him back, or five years, or 20, or until it's time for him to start having children, and then we'll bring him back. He is lent to the Lord, committed for life. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. I appreciated something I was reminded of this week from Third John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's what Christian parents want for their kids. Whatever else they may suffer and whatever else they may go through, that is what we desire for our children. And these who will come forward, and by the way, parents, now is the time if you need to go and retrieve a child so that we can do this dedication. Now is the time for that. These parents who are dedicating their children to the Lord are really dedicating themselves to the Lord as well. There's nothing miraculous, nothing special about this thing that we're going to do. We are committing ourselves. We're praying a blessing on our children, and that's a real thing, and God blesses our children through that. We are committing ourselves as parents to raise our children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. We want them to know Christ. And so that is our greatest responsibility as parents, is to see that they know Christ. And so as we're committing this morning, we, we want to be like Hannah. We want to we want to lend our children to the Lord to serve the Lord. And we want to understand that that commitment is for life. It's for life. And so that's what our dedication is. is there's no, no magic that goes on, nothing, nothing, nothing special except for God's children standing up and saying, Lord, you have entrusted us with this child. We commit him back to you for life. We commit her back to you all her days. Use us as parents to raise this child to know Christ, to know the Bible, to know how to pray, to understand what it means to be a Christian. Lord, we commit ourselves to do that with your help, and we need the Lord's help. And by the way, we do this as a congregation before all of you because, by the way, we need you and your help in that. God has saved us to be Christians, not alone, not on our own, not out there somewhere. He has called us to be Christians, to be a part of the the body of Christ, members of one body. That's us. And so as we are raising our children, help us, help us. You can be a blessing by praying for our children. You can be a blessing by praying for the parents who are struggling through difficult times with difficult situations. Pray for us. Be committed to be here and encourage us and encourage our children as they grow up. It's an encouragement for me to see my older children being encouraged by you, the body of Christ. That encourages them, that solidifies them in their faith, that makes them want to walk with the Lord all the more. It encourages me as the dad. So be an encouragement, be a help. 
pray for our children. Be committed to doing so. And part of our ceremony that we're going to do is going to head that direction as you will get to voice your own commitment to the same thing. And so I could keep going and going, but I won't. So parents uh, who are going to be dedicating children, come on up.